read about this man who was a, a successful financial planner, uh, a guy who worked with very wealthy clients. In fact, for his company, he was their top earner for the entire company. And so this man is trying to, you know, do his life as a financial planner. And suddenly he feels that God, God put a call in his life to go be a pastor. And so this guy is like, okay. So he tells his boss, he tells, his, tells the owner, he's like, hey, I think God's called me to be a pastor. So here, I'm going to go in this two-year program to learn how to be a pastor. At the end of two years, I'm gonna leave, you're going to need to find someone to replace me. And the owner is like, there's no way this guy's going to leave this job. This job, he makes so much money. It's so successful. There's no way he's actually going to leave his job. So the owner was like, I don't need to worry about it. It's not going to happen. Well, two years later, the guy completes his program, and he goes to his boss, and he's like, boss, this is my notice. I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be going uh, and, and working for an um, organization called Village Missions, uh, pastoring small local community churches in uh, situations that they couldn't afford to pay a pastor themselves. And uh, uh, the, the guy's like, but, but you have a month. And the boss is like, I don't believe you. I don't really believe that you're actually going to do this. And so here's what the boss did. The owner, uh, questioning the man's sincerity, he offered him a $50,000 a year raise. And his reasoning for this was, if this guy takes the raise, if he, he takes it, I'm going to fire him on the spot. Because it shows that his heart was not genuine after seeking the Lord. <laughs> it hits a little home for some of us in this room. That many of us, we want to follow God. We want to honor God. We want to do what God asks us to do. But sometimes do we ever get distracted by other things? Sometimes do our actions and our, distract, our decisions, sometimes they reveal that our hearts are not as necessarily dedicated to God as we would like to think they are. Because things like this become presented as opportunities for us. In fact, it's scary if we're going to actually be honest with ourselves at how often our actions and decisions we make reveal how maybe feeble our faith really is. So here at Restoration Church, we're a part of something called the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, a global uh, a network of churches that are uh, partnered together to plant churches. And when we first came into this network, uh, I was invited to this, this pastor's conference, and uh, it was great. You step into this room, and there's all these pastors uh, some of these guys that have been doing it for a very long time, guys that were uh, very uh, well-known. They had a large platform. They were on social media. They were the people that everybody wanted to talk to, everybody wanted to learn from. Hey, would you write us a book and tell us all the ways to, to, to make your church successful? And I walk into this room, and I'm new, and I'm kind of like, I don't feel like I belong. Like, I feel like, what am I even doing here? And so what happens is, is before the conference starts, all the pastors are here talking, and, and the question always becomes, the question in every one of these is, how big is your church? How many people go to your church? And I'll tell you what, I did what every one of those other pastors did in that room. I exaggerated. I added, I don't know, I think we're, you know, we're, 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 we've got like 3,000 people. We're probably close to that. You know, some are give or take a few, you know, on a good Sunday. Every one of these pastors does it. Every one of them. And, uh, and so uh, we go in, we sit down, we're ready to uh, start the conference, and uh, the speaker stands on the platform. And the speaker was a great guy. The speaker was not the guy who sought the plane. He wasn't the guy who was always trying to build his own uh, credentials and get everybody to follow him. He wasn't the one who's like, hey, look at me, I'm so great. He was humble, and he was wise. And I remember this is what his words were. He says, we pastors... 
we come to these conferences, and he says, we pastors are full of pride and lies and deceit because we pretend to have bigger churches and we pretend to be more influential than we really are, and simply that reveals the darkness of our hearts. That what's more important to us, is it faithfulness to God, or is it acclaim and affirmation? Can you feel like the hammer like coming down on my heart and my soul, and just the conviction of, oh my goodness. Like, I I generally wanted to be faithful to God. I generally want to follow God and his leading. I I want to lead the church well and and love love the Lord well. But my actions revealed that my heart, what I cherished most was affirmation. I would say most of us in this room, we would say, yes, I want to follow God. Yes, I love him. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I'm genuine in that. But are reminded of Jesus' words in, in Luke chapter 6. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we're going to be honest, how many times does our words, our actions, our decisions reveal that what we cherish most in our heart is not necessarily being faithful to God and walking with him, but it's all those other things, acclaim, money, affirmation, whatever it happens to be. We are uh, trying to finish the book of Acts. We've been here for uh, a good chunk of time, uh, seeing how the early church became a movement that began to impact everything around them. It impacted their city, their their neighborhoods, impacted the church. And we're kind of here as Restoration Church saying, God, how could we be a part of that movement? God, how Would you still allow the church to be a movement today that would change our city, that would change our neighborhoods, that would change our schools, change our families? And I'm like, yes and amen. I believe God's still moving today. So we've been trying to see how how God allowed the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the early church and praying, saying, God, would you do the same thing here through Restoration Church? last couple weeks, we've been following the Apostle Paul on his way to Jerusalem to be able to proclaim the gospel to his brothers and sisters in in Jerusalem. We saw when he he got there, he faced all sorts of opposition. He faced lies and arrests and beatings and, 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 and unfair trials and all these different things. We saw last week that Paul's brought before the Sanhedrin. He's in front of the, the Jewish Supreme Court. And uh, there was a conspiracy against him. Some guys were just saying, hey, if we can assassinate him, that would be awesome. Well, we saw last week, it was great. Jesus showed up and was physically present with Paul, which is pretty awesome. And he does the same thing for us. Where, where Jesus is physically present, he encourages him with all that he needed. And then he gets the Romans to lead him out uh, under the cover of darkness to the city of Caesarea. Today, we're going to pick up right there where Paul is going to uh, go on trial before the governor named Felix. And in our text today that Jake read first, Acts 24, there are three main characters. We've got Ananias, who's the high priest. We've got Paul, who we've been talking about, we followed. And we've got the governor named Felix. And what's awesome, because this passage is going to show us how their actions and their decisions reveal what they cherish most in their heart. As we look at this passage, this is, a, this is a, a passage for us to look and say, God, help us to understand our actions, our decisions, and how they reveal whether our faith is as genuine as we think it is or whether we might be pursuing 
other things. So, starts out, verse 1, it says, After five days, the high priest Ananiah, he came down to Caesarea with his elders and, and a spokesman. This would have been an attorney. And he, he laid before the governor the case against Paul. Now, here's, here's Ananias, right? He's the high priest. Remember last week where, where Paul's before the Sanhedrin and the high priest says, hey, punch him in the mouth? This is the same guy, okay? So he doesn't like Paul. There's not, there's not, there's not much love between the two, right? And so Ananias, he's got uh, an attorney with him named Tertullus. And uh, Tertullus is going to kind of be the spokesman. And the trial starts, and it starts kind of like you would expect it to happen. Where Tertullus, he does a little schmoozing of Governor Felix. If, if Felix is the judge, he's going to try and do a little, uh, can I say butt kissing? I just said it. So that's what he's going to try and do. Literally, he says, oh, Governor Felix, we love the peace you give us. You are so excellent. We are grateful for you. We beg that you hear us. I say this is butt kissing because Governor Felix was not a very good man. Felix was born as a slave and his brother ended up somehow becoming close friends with the Roman emperor. And his brother convinced the emperor to release Felix and to appoint him into a position of leadership. And so he kind of doesn't have a strong leadership base in the first place. And he's, as he's in leadership, he's known as being a ruthless leader, brutal, scheming, unethical, immoral, greedy, violent. He wasn't a good leader. And so as Tertullus comes in, it's like, hey, most wonderful Felix. This is basically going, mwah, 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 mwah. would you listen to us? All right. And here's his charges. Here are the charges that Ananias and Tertullus are going to present against Paul. Verses 5 and 6. Number one, they say Paul is a troublemaker. He's been starting riots all across the world. Number one. Number two, it says Paul is a ringleader of a new religious sect, saying he's a religious fanatical. He, he's a radical. We can't trust him. And number three, not only all those things, but Paul's trying to desecrate the temple. Pointing back to in chapter 21, where he was accused of bringing uh, non-Jews into the temple, which he didn't do, but they're still bringing the accusation against him. Now, these three accusations, in a moment, Paul's going uh, gonna to prove those accusations false. But I want to stop right now and think for a second. What is, why would Ananias bring up these false accusations? Why would, he, why would he bring up these lies before Governor Felix in this trial against the Apostle Paul? Again, this is where I want us to see, uh, we get to see his heart. We get to see how his actions and his decisions and his words that reveal his heart and his character. He has no concern for anything theological. This isn't a matter of, of him wanting to be faithful to God. No, his concern, his actions show that he is simply trying to maintain his power and his position. See, as, as high priest, he had a pretty sweet little gig. His gig was uh, the Romans gave him the freedom to, to manage the religious affairs of the Jewish people however he wanted. Do whatever you want as long as you don't cause problems for the Romans. So he's got all sorts of freedom for his position, for his power, and he's been known to abuse it. Why he had Paul punched in the mouth. He's abusing his power. And here, here Paul comes in and Paul's preaching this message about the resurrection of Jesus and how if we believe in Jesus, there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's life in him. And as Paul preaches this message, 
Paul's turning people's attention away from the high priest and the high priest's rules, turning attention to Jesus. And the high priest is saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to lose my power and position. I want everybody to obey what I tell them to do. And so because Paul is turning people's attention away, the high priest is going to throw a fit and make these false accusations. See, that high priest, you know, he might have his royal robe on, looking all religious. Hi, am I? Look, how, look how godly I am. I've got, my, I've got a robe on. But his actions reveal that his heart isn't necessarily concerned with faithfulness to God. His concern is for his own power and his own influence. So Felix hears the charges that Ananias brings and invites Paul, hey, you want to defend yourself? Go for it. And Paul's going to set the record straight. The first charge about causing the riots, this is what Paul says, verse 11. He says, you can verify You can verify this. No more than 12 days ago, I came to worship in the temple. That's all I did. I came to worship in the temple. And they did not find me disputing with anybody, stirring up the crowd, either in the temple or the synagogues or the city. They cannot prove to you what they have brought against me. Paul's like, hey, I just came to worship. That's all I did. And they can't prove I created any, right? They can't prove I did anything of that regard. Number one, done. Second accusation, being a ringleader of a, and a religious radical. Paul says, verse 14, I confess to you, Governor Felix, it's true. I live according to the way. This is what Christians were called, the way, which they call a sect. But listen to this. He says, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in the scriptures according to the law and the prophets having a hope in God, listen to this, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Paul says, I'm not not some new religious leader. No, I believe everything in the scriptures. There's nothing new. See, this is sometimes we get confused about the Old and the New Testament. Uh, Jesus doesn't contradict the Old Testament. It's not how it works. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. There's no change from from new to old. It's just that that in the New Testament, we see God's full plan unfold through Jesus. So Paul is saying, "I'm, I'm I'm not forgetting the Old Testament. I'm simply understanding that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. I'm seeing how these two things correlate together. I'm not making up some new religious thing. I'm teaching the same thing. I'm teaching the scriptures and pointing them to Jesus. Third charge, desecrating the temple. Paul, you're desecrating the temple. Here's his response, verse 17. After several years away, I was gone for several years on my missionary journeys. I came to bring alms and present offerings. And while I did this, they found me purified in the temple without crowds and without tumult. Says, no, I didn't desecrate the temple. I simply came and I had collected an offering when I was, I presented this offering at the temple. And I came to worship. That's, that's all that happened. I'm, I'm presenting this offering. In fact, he continues and says, there are some Jews from Asia, and they are the ones who made the accusation against me. And if it's true, they ought to be here. They ought to be in court testifying. And if not, then let these men say what wrongdoing I've done. Paul's like, I've done none of those things. These are simple answers to these accusations. They're false accusations. They can't, there's no truth behind them. Proves his innocence. 
Now, again, one of the things we said as we looked at this passage is, is each of these characters, their actions and their decisions reveal their heart, reveal what's deep inside of them. So what do we see in Paul's heart? Well, I want to go back to that confession he made in verse 14. He says, I confess to you, I live according to the way. They were called the way because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? He says, yes, I live according to Jesus, and I believe everything in the scriptures, and I hope in God and believe in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. But listen to this, verse 16. I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. See, Paul's response, Paul's actions, Paul's decisions, Paul's words reveal, man, I want to have a clean conscience before God and before man. As he's brought to trial, he wants to have a clean conscience. He's not name-calling Ananias. He's not, he's not lashing out at how unfair the trial has been. He's not saying, Ananias punched me in the face and I didn't deserve it and it wasn't right. No, Paul's not trying to do that. He's simply trying to present the facts. And he's looking to honor God. I mean, I love that Paul says, no, I'm surrendered to the scriptures. I'm surrendered to the will of God. I do everything they say. I'm trying to live those things out. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to walk with God. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to put God first in my life. You know, that's what it looks like for us to, to live with a clear conscience before God. Is to take his word and say, God, I'll do it. You say this is what it is, and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to try and follow you. Be obedient to what you're asking me to do. Paul's like, hey, this is all I've tried to do so I can have a clear conscience before God and before man. Paul's made his defense, and the case is pretty clear, right? Innocent, not guilty of the accusations. But verse 22, it says, Felix adjourned the hearing and said, when, when Lysias, the commander, comes, then I'll decide your case. Felix delays judgment. He's going to delay judgment actually for two years. For two years, he's going to leave Paul in prison. Why the delay? Why would he do that? Verse 27 says, where is it? Oh, there it is. Verse 27, it says, Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, and so he left Paul in prison. See, again, our actions and our decisions, they reveal what's deepest in our heart. And for Felix, his heart's been exposed. Rather than standing for truth, Felix is making decisions based on what's best for him, what's easiest for him, what, what, what is most advantageous for him, what's most beneficial for him. Well, if he can keep the Jews happy, that makes his job easier. So surely, we'll just keep Paul in prison. We'll give Paul some freedoms. We'll let him be on house arrest so he can have some friends come and take care of him. But we're going to leave him in prison for two years because, you know, it just makes my job a little bit easier. But it goes deeper than that. Verse 24. Listen to this. Several days later, Felix with his, with his wife, her name is Drusilla. I like calling her Dracula, uh, whatever, you know. She's a Jew. Uh, sh they sent for Paul and listened to him talk on the subject of faith in Jesus. Did you just hear what they did? You've got Felix, who's not a good man, and his wife, Dracula. They're like, Paul, would you come and talk to us about faith in Jesus? Like, how cool is that? 
They seek him out. They say, we want to hear you talk about this Jesus. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, this is exciting. Felix is going to get saved, right? Felix is going to come to Jesus and Dracula, I can't call her Dracula anymore if she gets saved, right? Like, this is good. Their life is going to be changed. But look what happened next, verse 25. Paul spoke about righteousness, which means our right living before God. He spoke about self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, the provision that God has given us to grow in our righteousness. And he spoke about the judgment to come, that God doesn't just judge our actions, but he judges our hearts, and there are eternal consequences to how we live our lives. Paul spoke about righteousness and self-control and judgment. And it says in verse 25, that Paul was afraid. And he said, leave me for now and I'll call on you later. See, we could take that word afraid. We could throw the word convicted, challenged, recognize how guilty he was. This would have been the continental divide of Felix's life. He's afraid. He's convicted of sin, convicted that he's not living according to the righteousness. He's not practiced self-control. He's not lived in light of the fact that there is a judgment coming. And now is the time to make a decision. Do I believe and repent, or do I continue to reject and do what's easier for me? <coughs> and Felix's response, I'll go away for right now. I'll call on you later. Paul, not right now. You need to leave me now, and I will call upon you later. That conviction for Felix, I know God's calling me to do this. Isn't it easier to say, I just don't want to do it right now. Some other day. I'll do it some other day. And this trial, it just continues to expose Felix's heart. That he knows his life isn't right. He knows he's guilty before God but he is unwilling to surrender, unwilling to change, unwilling to repent. He wants to continue doing what's easy, that despite his power and his wealth and his influence, his actions show that his heart does not desire to be right before God. So we come to this point, we're like, all right, we looked at, Ananias, we looked at Paul, and now we've seen Felix. So what does this passage teach us? Here's our summary today. Here's, here's the summary of this passage. Our actions and our decisions reveal the depth of our genuine faith in God. That it's not just our intent. It's not just our words, but our actions and our decisions, they reveal our genuine faithfulness in God, whether we're walking with him or not, because we can claim a lot of things. We can claim a lot. Ananias can stand in front of everybody with a royal robe. Look how holy and righteous I am. But his actions and his decisions reveal, no, you really are pursuing power and not faithfulness to God. Our actions and our decisions reveal our genuine faithfulness to God or not. The question then becomes, all right, Pastor Kevin, how do we 
How do we align our heart? How do we align our, mo- our, our, our motivation? How do we align our actions so that we can be focused on God and not these other things? How do we honor God with our lives? So here's the application. Paul already said it. It's in the text. We live with a clear conscience before God and others. It's how we do it. Now, I know the question becomes, well, okay, that sounds easier said than done. How do we actually do that? Well, again, it's in the text. Number one, how do we have a clear conscience? Like Paul, we need to be surrendered to the Scriptures. Surrendered to the Scriptures. That's what verse 24 said. Paul said, I, uh, verse 14, he said, I believe everything in the Scriptures. Like, 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 can we acknowledge that sometimes that's the hardest dilemma? That when we're reading scripture and something jumps on the page and we're like, holy moly, like, God, you just said this, but God, that's not what I want to do. God, I don't want to love my enemies. No, they deserve a punch in the nose. They don't deserve my love. I don't want to do that. Oh, God, that purity thing, that sex thing, like, oh, God, like, oh, I know you're saying that, but man, my body, I don't want to do that. I mean, can we acknowledge that there's some parts in Scripture that are hard for us? That our flesh wants to rebel against and say, no, you don't have to do that. You can go the easy way. Like, like, like for Paul, Paul's like, no, I'm going to do what the Scriptures say. Like the, the Scriptures are not just a bunch of, of rules for us to follow. But God is the author and the perfecter uh, and the creator of life itself. And now that it's his love, he's given us his word so we can know how to live for him, how to honor him, and how to experience life the way that he designed it to be. This is why one of the things we say here at Restoration Church is we're a church that we're, we're biblically rooted. We're biblically rooted. Like we recognize, like God, you've given us your word so we can know how to love you and to serve you and to, and to live for you and, and to thrive. Man, if we're going to have a clear conscience, let me ask you, are, are you willing to surrender to the Scriptures? When God says, go left, are we willing to go left? When God says, go right, are you willing to go right? When God says, don't, don't, don't cheer for Taylor Swift today, are you willing to listen? He is speaking right now. He is speaking right now. I, I'm kidding about that. That's just... All right. Uh, clear conscience. How to live with a clear conscience number two. <laughs> We live with repentance. We have to be willing to repent when we are wrong. Let me say this. Maybe you are better than me. Likely. For me, I don't always live surrendered to God and to his word. There's times that my flesh fights and rebels. And the question is, what do we do when we're wrong? Let me be clear, God does not expect perfect people. Christians, I don't know why we get this so wrong. Churches are horrible about this. Where we, 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 project, where we project that we're righteous and, and more holy than we really are. And so what do you do? We show up on Sunday morning and we fake it. We, look, we put on this religious veneer. Look how righteous and holy I am. I've got no problems. We look like the high priest putting our, our royal robes on. So everybody says, look how righteous you are. Paul wasn't perfect. We saw a couple of weeks ago, his big fat mouth got ahead, of, got, got ahead of him, got him in trouble, right? Paul wasn't perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. If God was expecting perfection, that makes Jesus' death completely unnecessary, right? 
Now, this is why, again, one of the things we talk about here at Restoration Church is we talk about progress over perfection. God's not looking for our perfection. He's looking for our progress. He's looking for us to take more steps of trying to say, hey, God, I'm following you this way. I might have taken a step backwards, but I'm taking two forwards. I'm still pursuing you. I'm still walking after you. And when I'm wrong, guess what? I'm going to admit it, and I'm going to say, God, I'm surrendered. I'm repenting. I'm before you. That as we're exposed to the scriptures and the will of God, Paul, again, he talks about righteousness and self-control. When we're confronted with those things, are we willing to confess that? To acknowledge we're wrong? To acknowledge our sin? To repent? To choose to say, God, I'm turning from this, and I'm turning to believe in what you've called me to do. And let me say this. When we live with a clear conscience before God and man, do you realize that's when our message of the gospel becomes real and powerful? Notice, notice, Felix sought Paul. Paul, come and talk to us about faith. Why didn't he ask Ananias? Ananias is a high priest. Ananias works for Felix. It'd be easier for him to say, hey, Ananias, come and talk to us about, you know, all the customs we've got to follow. He doesn't do that. Who does he ask to come and speak to him? He asked Paul. Why? It, isn't it because they could see his faith? They could see he had a clear conscience? This is where when we put on our religious veneer, our facade, when we try and look righteous on the outside, but our hearts are selfish and seeking other things. You know, people around us notice that. The world sees right through our hypocrisy. Just like a middle school boy who sprays body acts all over himself to hide the fact that he hasn't showered in a week. Like, everybody knows, dude. Everybody knows. We smell it. You can put the body act spray. It doesn't do anything for you. You still stink. In a real sense, Felix saw, and his wife, they saw Paul's faith. They saw it was genuine. They saw his actions, his decisions. They matched what he claimed to believe. Again, not that he was perfect. I don't think he was. But they saw, hey, Paul's generally trying to walk with Jesus, repenting when he's wrong. And because of that, Felix and Dracula are like, we want to hear more. Tell us more about this Jesus. And I, be, I begin to think about those of us in this room, and we've got family members we want, to, we want to influence. We've got friends, and we're like, man, I'd love to see them come to Jesus. I'd love to have an impact on their faith. Do you know that how you live out your faith is evident to them? And if you're not fully surrendered, they see right through it. In fact, we had some friends a number of years ago, and their adult kids were not walking with God. Their adult kids wanted nothing to do with God whatsoever. Nothing to do with it. And our friends kept saying, man, we, kept, we keep trying to share the gospel. We keep trying to point them to Jesus. And they just, they won't listen to us. Kevin, what do we do? You know, the honest answer was, your kids see right through you. They see your hypocrisy. They see you claim, hey, Jesus changes everything. 
Meanwhile, your relationships are falling apart. Meanwhile, your life is falling apart. Meanwhile, you can't get a hold of things going on in your life. Yet, you still put on your religious robe. Look how great I am. Don't hear me say God's looking for perfection. That's not what people need to see. But the question is, are you seeking God? Are you seeking his will? Are you surrendering to what he's asking you to do? Are you willing to repent when you're wrong? Because I tell you what, when we live that clear conscience before God and others, do you know that is contagious? When you see someone who's living for God and taking those steps to follow him, it is contagious. Everybody wants a part of that. Hey, hey, come tell me about your Jesus. Come tell me about your faith. I love that. There's friends in this room that looked at someone else and said, hey, I see this girl's on fire for God. I want some of that. What's going on? I'll show up to church because I see this in them. Man, our clear conscience before God and others is so contagious to the people around us. And when we try and live in that hypocrisy, people see right through us. Number three, have a clear conscience. We'll close with this. We need to be willing to respond now. As Felix hears Paul talk about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, and it says he was afraid. It said he was convicted. He knew he wasn't living right. And what does he do? He puts it off. I'll call on you another time. Well, guess what? Verse 26 is going to say that Felix called on the Apostle Paul many more times. Many more times. Simply looking for a bribe. Felix no longer had that conviction. No longer had that desire, that hunger for God. Because here's the sobering reality. Every time we put off responding to God in our life, every time we put off responding as we should, our heart becomes more and more resistant, more and more hard, more and more calloused. We're pretty soon, that conviction isn't there anymore. Kind of like the story of the little boy who cried wolf. Little boy who cried wolf. Felix's soul, you could say in a very real sense, it died that moment, that day that he said, not today, Paul, I'll call on you some other time. Some other time. See, I've heard it said like this, tomorrow is the devil's playground. (laughs) Satan, I don't think he cares how spiritual our intentions are. He doesn't care how holy our resolutions are. The only desire is that we carry them out tomorrow. Because if he can lull us through today, chances are we'll be distracted by tomorrow. Our heart becomes hardened. And pretty soon there's that distance where we no longer feel that conviction. In fact, Proverbs 20 says, The sluggard who does not plow in the autumn at harvest has nothing. When we delay, we oftentimes will miss out on what God has for us. What is God speaking to you about today? 
What has made you afraid? What has made you convicted? What has God been speaking to you? Hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go to this relationship and make it right. I want you to go and speak to this person about faith in me and and salvation. What is God speaking? I I want you to to begin to to give to to whatever it happens to be. What is God speaking to you on today? Because I tell you what, if we wait till tomorrow, Satan is going to throw a party. Now is the time. Apostle Paul, book of Ephesians, writes about that. Today is the day. I think back to the very beginning. That man who decided to leave the financial planning business ended up becoming a pastor and working for an organization called Village Missions. Churches would never get more than 50 people because they're in small communities, 3,000 people. Turned away from the $50,000 a year pay raise because he said, no, I want to be genuine in my faith. I think that's our call for us today. When we look at our actions, our decisions, do they match up with what we claim to believe? And if not, then maybe today's the day he's calling us to repent. Let's pray.